Hello, everyone, and welcome to I Think, Therefore I Fan, a pop culture and philosophy podcast. On this podcast, we'll explore the most compelling philosophical themes as we find them in all of everyone's favorite fandoms. We are your hosts. I'm Dr. Richard Green. And I'm Dr. Rachel Robison Green. Thanks for joining us today. Welcome. So, this is the third of four episodes from the PCA, right, the annual meeting of the Pop Culture Association. Um, we have a couple of nice interviews lined up today. And so, who do we have first? First, we have Gwendolyn Dolsky. Uh, Gwendolyn teaches philosophy at Cal Poly Pomona. Her area of expertise is existentialism. And she's the producer and co host of Good is in the Details podcast. Nice. All right. Well, let's go to the interview. Hi, Gwendolyn. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So it was um, fun seeing you at the PCA again this year. Um, it was, a, I thought, a really nice conference. Good. Likewise. Good yeah. So um, I enjoyed your talk quite a bit. Maybe you could just sort of take our listeners um, through some of the, the main points. For sure. I really enjoy the Pop Culture Association because it really gives us a chance to use these theories that can be quite dry to students and integrate it with their everyday life. And something that has been on my mind is social media. And social media, I do not think is bad in and of itself. I like social media. I actually, I lived in Canada for a couple of years. I lived in Belgium for four and a half years. And so social media has been this wonderful tool for me to stay connected to people that I've met all over the world. So I wanna preface by saying, I don't think in and of itself it is a bad thing. However, here's the big but, (laughs) the big but of the situation. I was not raised with social media. And I think that there is some benefit to being older, I won't say how old, but being a little bit older and not being born with a phone in my hand, Mm -hmm. that I am able to distance myself and understand social media. As opposed to the younger generation, I see that there is an impact. And so my paper, and an impact that's not, that's not good. I Mm -hmm. want to say it. So um, I, yeah, that's what something I want to clarify that the way in which which it's being used and it's so mindless. It is such a habit to get on the phone and to be looking at social media that I think it's important as philosophers when we're talking about what does it mean to live life well, um, which is one of my interests. I think there is a moral and existential issue at hand here that needs to be addressed. And I think if it doesn't, there's a big consequence. So what I am interested in is that there has been this shift when it comes to what it means to live life well that used to be, taking from the ancient Greeks, a notion of character development. And that what social media has done is it has shifted that to image development. Mm -hmm. And we're treating it as though they're one and the same thing. And it has very it has dire consequences um, from what I have read in the research that I have done, that it has led to higher depression. It has led to um, instances of suicide, that people are not really connecting younger people, that they're using it as a way to connect or to show their image instead of character development. Mm-hmm. And so that is what my paper was really about. Now, I should say you're, you're preaching to the choir. We have some people in our lives that 
seem to be more focused on what they project on Instagram and other social media things than, than almost anything else, right? A, a life well-lived is a yep. life, um, you know, with lots of clicks and likes and yes. retweets and so mm -hmm. forth. And, Yes, and I've I've encouraged my students, and I also uh, I have to do this for my own well being, but to not look at social media first thing in the morning. Mm -hmm. That yeah, I encourage my students to do something for themselves, whether it's to take the dog out, do yoga, make yourself some coffee. Like you ha read something. It has to be something for yourself because if you don't, what you are doing essentially when you are getting on Instagram, when you're getting on Facebook. Um, you are taking that first moment of your day to look at what other people are doing or what other people think of you. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things that you are doing. And going back to, you know, the philosophy and this notion of character development, something that Aristotle writes in his ethics, and I think that he is right here, is that when we are talking about the object of life of eudaimonia, that the path forward to that is not through pleasure, and, but the second say, you know, he has, he does a process of elimination. The way in which to not achieve eudaimonia is that your life should hinge on public honor. And I think that that it, there's something really true to that. And I think we can update it to likes or to fame today that what you're doing is that your entire sense of self is hinging on what other people think of you. And it is dependent on that. And then he does say that the life of contemplation is what allows for eudaimonia and Again, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. And I think that social media has the potential to really disrupt that. And also in the paper, I'm interested in the technology. I think we have this, the paper that I gave at the, the PCA, uh, yeah. conference, yeah, that we have this collision of um, existential ideas of self that are radically changing how we express ourselves, um, how we see others, what it means to be right? Like we no longer have address books. Now what it means to be is how, what's going on on social media, um, the moral issue, and then the technology, which I talked about the documentary, The Social Dilemma, which is, you know, talking about how the engineers designed this with the intention for you to be addicted. And mm -hmm. that is really important information, I think. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, and it mm -hmm. seems to work um, quite well. So I, you know, I get on Facebook early in the morning, in fact, I should send myself a recurring email every day at 6.30 to say, get off social media, you know. Um, and, and I've been very aware that, it, you know, I, I joke about it. Facebook's like crack, you know, how addictive it is. Mm -hmm. And yet, every day, you know, I get these screen time reports to say, you know, you're down 20% um, and you were only on screen, you know, an average of seven and a half hours a day. Um, and I'm thinking, like, what am I doing, right? So... Uh, yeah, hey, they... I get it. I get it. I mean, even with, you know, with my own podcast, then I need to be, you know, everybody says you have to be on social media. And then there's a part of it, like I said, that I enjoy the creativity of it. I do enjoy some of the interaction with it, but I don't want to confuse the content of my work with the image of saying, hey, look at me. And I have to make sure that I, if I'm spending too much time on social media, that I'm realigning myself mm -hmm. to paying attention to what makes me, me, as opposed to what I am projecting for everybody to see. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't want to put you on the spot too much. So if if um, hey, you, you, if you can't dredge this up from memory, um, you know, feel free to say so because people will say, "Oh, I like this thing you said in your talk on Saturday," and I'll think that was Saturday. I don't, you know, if it's <laughs> not in front of you, I, I don't remember it. But I thought you had a great bit about these people that sort of desire to be 
Instagram influencers. Um, yes. I don't know if, if, if you can riff on that a little bit and just, yeah, the, the mechanics of appearing this way. Yes. I well, So I've been so intrigued. It, there was an article, I think it was in the New York Times a while ago, talking about how hot, the hotel and travel industry, this is pre-COVID, mm-hmm. has altered that they now have a separate office specifically devoted to influencers. So what you need to do is you need to contact them and their office sees if you're influential enough in order for you to get a free stay. So my initial interest in this was thinking, how do I do that? And why am I so late to the game? Still, I don't have enough <laughs> yeah. followers to do something like that. But then I started thinking about what is influencer and it seems like it's sales, but it's not sales. It's not exactly the same thing because sales has to do with a product. But with the influencer, what you're doing is you are, the person is using themselves to get people to want to be them. Mm -hmm. And that is the difference that I thought was really interesting that when you're looking at an influencer, it means that they have lots and lots of followers. And essentially, it's not a product like here, buy these sunglasses. It's here, I want you to look like me in the sunglasses or have the life that I have. And so there's this constant desire for this idea of something that is better, that is really materialistic. And again, I am not anti stuff. I mean, I also enjoy stuff, but that is not what makes life good. That is, you know, the icing on the cake. And so that's where I think I am concerned just from an existential and moral lens that we are training people to constantly crave for more, that their life is not good enough but that what will make life better is not being on social media, but it really is retreating a bit and focusing on what makes you, you, you know, if you enjoy music, if you enjoy fitness, that those things should be developed and try to not have a camera around for it, you know, just go ahead and do it. And yeah, buying other stuff again, that's fine, but you shouldn't be desiring to be somebody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to be Joanna Gaines. I know that's what uh, <laughs> all, the, all the people in our circle aspire to. Yeah, no, it's 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 a horrible um, thing to to sort of aspire to something so inauthentic as to be perceived in a certain way that's not how you are, but yet right. something successful by some some standard, right? And th- because of the filters, right? Because of the filters, that it is it's an impossible thing. Also, it's not even an achievable thing to be like the Instagrammers. I mean, I'm sorry, the influencers. It's not possible mm-hmm. because of all the photoshopping that is done. Right. Nobody appears in sepia and so forth. Yeah. Um, good. So um, changing gears a little bit. Um, can you tell us um, what you got going on in your podcast? I, I was a guest recently and loved it. Rudy is a, a riot, your, your co-host. He's awesome. And, yeah, boy, what a great personality. Um, it was a really fun time, so. Um. Oh, good. Yeah, I loved, no, I loved having you on. Um, in fact, Rudy, teach, Rudy is a lawyer in LA, and he also teaches some, uh, some law classes at mm-hmm. Chapman University in Orange County. And he's had some philosophy majors who really liked your episode. They really liked oh, it. Oh, great, they told great. Him. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah. Uh, what did what did we call it? Don't spoil that. It's just such a fun topic. Um, and again, that's why I like the Pop Culture Association because then we can 
you know, be philosophical about these things that are quite popular and mm -hmm. it's insightful. Sometimes I'm interested in what is popular, not because I like it, but I think it's an interesting trend to pay attention to because it can reflect where we are as a culture. Mm -hmm. So with the, with the podcast, I mean, I'm starting to think that podcasting is the new blogging yeah, <laughs> in a way, is. how everyone was blogging a decade ago and now everyone's podcasting. But I've found that I've integrated it into my classes oh, cool. so that the students can have another expert um, that they are listening to about the topic. So I use my syllabi as a guide for the kinds of things that we discuss. That's one way I go about it. And it's also a lot less expensive than if you paid for somebody to come and give a talk to have the, you know, have that. But I yeah. also, I also think that it's important that the students actually can see me in the role of being a student as well. Because when it comes to the podcast, I'm not the professor in the room. I'm somebody who's genuinely interested in learning more. And I think that in the spirit of Socrates, this idea of continually being curious is something that I want to practice and not only just tell my students to do that, like here, read the Apology by Socrates, here's the lesson, but that they can actually get a sense of what that means to enjoy your life and to look at other experts and to know more about the underscoring ideas that drive their work. And our latest episode, I'm I'm just so proud of, I mean, I love, I love all of them, but the latest episode was about Asian American history and I have such a deficit in this, mm. in this area of expertise and somebody I knew in undergrad who went on to get his PhD in Asian American studies. I asked him to come on the show to talk about the, you know, what is going on in the United States when it comes to um, racism, when it comes to um, Asian Americans. And he was just, I mean, the conversation was just so fruitful. I barely said anything. I was so excited to listen to him. And it was just the, the topic ranged from, you know, immigration to labor to talking about Bruce Lee. We talked about pop culture mm -hmm. and the way that Asian Asian Americans have been portrayed in film and how that adds to a stereotype. So um, or can negate a stereotype. There's that potential as well. And that was our most recent one. And again, I'm really proud of it because I think it was just a, it was such a meaningful episode, given the context of today. Yeah, it's a very timely topic. Um, I don't know. Do you watch um, John Oliver's show? Yeah. So did you see it last night? That was the the topic was Asian Americans, and he, and he led with this poll where he said, you know, had people um you know name three you know prominent Asian Americans, and Jackie Chan and Bruce Lee were on top of the list. You know that um, they were the list. They they were the list. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was. Um, yeah, people don't know that history. It, you know, I'll, I'll include myself in that. I'm watching the episode just thinking, wow, there's all this eye-opening stuff and all these tropes at play. Um, yeah, so very yeah. interesting. Um, so your podcast is Good is in the Details, right? Uh -huh. And it can be found at all the customary all the podcast platforms. Places. Yeah, that's, that's what we all say now. If you ask people where their book can be found, they say Amazon, which is unfortunate. <laughs> and if... Um, yeah. If you, um, you know, say, where's your podcast? You take, oh, you know, everywhere. So <laughs> yeah. easy to find. But yeah, it's, it's a, a good episode and, or a, a good podcast. I encourage people to listen to it. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking to us. It's great to see you. Hopefully we'll see you next year at the PCA or yeah, um, in person. Seattle. Well, yeah. 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 Back to back to in person. 
Well, thank you so much for having me on. And it's just such a joy. You also have just a wonderful podcast and I appreciate you bringing me on to be part of it again. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. All right. Take care. Take care. All right. Well, that was awesome. That also um, cuts a little close to the vest. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like I know a lot of of those sorts of people. Um, We're all those sorts of people in some ways. (laughs) In in some ways, yeah. yeah. Some some more than others. All right. Well, who, who do we have next? Next, we have Randy Jensen. Randy is a professor of philosophy at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. As a member of a very small philosophy department, he teaches a wide range of courses, including one on philosophy and science fiction, where naturally the relationship between philosophy and popular culture is front and center. He's contributed chapters to various books on pop culture and philosophy, including volumes on Batman, Superman, Battlestar Galactica, The Office, The Hobbit, South Park, 24, Ender's Game, Sons of Anarchy, the film Okja, and others. Now, with all the stuff he's done, it's, it's sort of surprising that our paths haven't... Um crossed right. up until this point, but I think it, it was his first um, trip to the PCA. Yeah. All right, well, let's let's go to the interview. Randy, welcome. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Good, good. Yeah, it was, it was nice to see you at the PCA, and this is sort of our, our first meeting. We didn't really have much of an opportunity to meet then, but uh, I quite enjoyed your, your talk, and so, um, as I mentioned in private conversation, it, it hit a lot of... Um, um, buttons for me, right? So, you know, epistemology and skepticism and pop culture like crazy, all this stuff coming together. So do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about what you were up to at this sure. year's conference? Sure. Sounds great. Well, I've been thinking about uh, the idea of a virtual world, which uh, philosophy is a pretty common thought experiment, as you mentioned, uh, for epistemologists uh, playing a big role in thinking about skepticism and does all kinds of different things really and then in science fiction it's increasingly become uh, quite a trope for lots of stories Uh, and so fun for me to think about Um, I mean a a lot of this happened in a big way with the matrix in 1999 Uh, that's kind of one of the places where philosophy and popular culture really uh, took off so with even a, there's a documentary film about philosophers in the matrix that comes out with the ultimate <clears throat> matrix collection DVD set. So, you know, philosophers got to be cool there for a minute and that was, that was all pretty exciting. Yeah. I, uh, I used so, to um, use the matrix as a recruiting tool, right? So we'd, we'd have our major fests and, um, you know, we'd sit at the table like we do every year, but for a decade or so before the kids stopped knowing what the matrix was i could put that on dvd and they'd go oh the matrix you know what's that have to do yes. with philosophy and um it was nice they did, yeah, i don't know if we got more majors but they would come to our table with with greater frequency mm-hmm. right yeah it is one of the things about you know doing this for a while that your your pop culture references tend to to kind of you know date out at some point you uh, you start, you're talking about a movie and you realize your students don't know what you're talking about anymore. So <laughs> got to tr- kind of try to keep with the times a little bit. So yeah. every now and then I'll inadvertently say Buster Keaton and then <laughs> think, boy, I'm, I'm way, <laughs> way off base here. Yeah. So, I mean, that's part of why I ended up talking some about a couple of more recent anime series that are about. Uh, being trapped in a virtual world, but in kind of an interestingly different way than in The Matrix. 
Uh, and so uh, some of the same questions, but maybe some different questions or the same questions with different answers seem to come up uh, with these anime series. And so I talked about uh, sword art online a little bit, um, which is, again, the idea of you're trapped in a virtual world. Um, but in this case, it's a game. And uh, you, you logged into the game on purpose, but then you can't log out. And so you know you're in a game the whole time. So in some ways, it doesn't raise all the same kinds of epistemological problems that the Matrix raised about, you know, maybe we could be in a Matrix right now. And can anyone really know for sure they're not in a Matrix? It isn't really playing around with those questions. It's more about value questions about whether you know being in a virtual world would be a a bad thing uh for people do, do the same sort of questions come up um as students will raise with the experience machine about authenticity and so you know you're in yeah. there but do you do you want to live a life that's not authentic um yes and at least some students uh, tend to just say well if it's virtual then of course it's not real you mm -hmm. know it's not authentic because it's virtual uh and that kind of you know anti-digital bias you might think of is is pretty clear at least for some students um it's also interesting that there are students for whom the fact that it doesn't seem like this reality is tangible or physical means that it's not valuable too and I mean, ironically, these are often students who themselves are dualists and who believe in the supernatural. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but in this context, they really, you know, sort of want what's tangible and physical and think that's what matters. Mm -hmm. So do you have a thesis on whether it would be bad to live in a virtual world, whether that's necessarily bad? Well, I, I want to defend the, the claim that it can be good to be in a virtual world, that, it, that you know, virtual words, worlds aren't necessarily bad just in just in virtue of being virtual, um, if I can say it that way. Uh, so a lot of these stories involve like being trapped in the virtual world. And I think being trapped somewhere is often a bad thing, wherever you happen to be trapped. Mm -hmm. Being forced into a situation and not allowed out of it is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's a virtual or physical situation is kind of beside the point. Okay, yeah. so when you say virtual here, you mean, do you mean digital? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, that's so, a good question. Well, I'm just thinking, you know, some of the some of the original some some of the older thought experiments in the history of philosophy are like alternate worlds, but not virtual worlds. Yeah. Yeah. Bausman is two dimensional world. And... Right. Well, I, just, and... I wonder if 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 idealism were true, right? Mm -hmm. If people would view that as a bad thing, for the same reasons, or if it's something about the digital nature. That the students are yeah. Mm, yeah, i think that's a great point i mean one of the things i thought about but haven't really done anything with is you know how how barkley responds to certain worries about his thesis that you know the world is made up of ideas and there are people who think that's just terrible it means the world isn't there and all of that and he wants to say it doesn't mean any of those things right it's 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 not this alarming thought and yeah. I wonder if, you know, a person could make the same kind of response on behalf of digital, you know, worlds and digital objects. Yeah. Uh, so that's interesting, I think. Yeah, a, a lot of students sort of naturally take that line. Once you get them, you know, when you're talking about skepticism, 
to the point where, yeah, they don't know that they're not in that sort of world. And in that context, by no, they mean they're not certain that they're not. Um, they do go to the, well, what difference does it make? This is my yeah. experience kind of thing. So at least some will sort of embrace that I don't care if it's a world of ideas. I don't care if it's a digital world. I don't care if it's a physical world as the scientists would explicate it. Um, it's it's my reality. So. Yeah, I think you're right there. I think I'm always interested to find that lots of students who would not admit that they're hedonists kind of turn out that they they really are hedonists, that they think as long as how I feel is okay, that's all that really matters. And whether I kind of know the truth or not, or uh, it, it just sort of drops away as long as mm -hmm. they're with Cypher and thinking, you know, just just make me feel good. Yeah, and give me the stake. Right, right. Yeah. Well, cool. I, 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 in your talk, I like the way you sort of went through all the different types of cases, kind of removing the um, the badness one by one, right? Well, we could be in the matrix, but it doesn't have to be oh. such that we don't know. And you could be in the experience machine, but it doesn't have to be the way Nozick sets up the thought experiment. Um, yeah. But And I think I was pressing you on this a little bit. Um, what would a, a sort of good virtual world be like um, without all those things that we want to eliminate um, is, it, is it a hedonistic world? It's something, um, the experience machine without the lack of knowledge, maybe, or the experience machine that you can leave? Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, I think, like, one question is, would we try to basically replicate uh, our ordinary world that we have right now, and whatever it's like, we'd try to just replicate that in the virtual world? Oh, goodness, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> It's totally not over the past year. Can you ask this, answer this question as if it were 2019, Rachel? Or would we make the world better in some way, right? I mean, that's yeah. kind of always the temptation. And, um, you know, are there certain bad things we could eliminate and, and, and all of that? So, um, yeah, I, I, and I think, of course, it depends on what our current circumstances are and uh, all of that. I mean, I, I'm interested in, in saying, well, this idea in more recent stories about a shared virtual world where it's not me and the experience machine and the rest is programming but it's all of us together in some sort of virtual environment that's pretty important mm -hmm. i think and right. usually students kind of buy into the idea that they don't want a family of non-player characters you know who aren't aren't sort of sentient yeah. you know they they mm -hmm. want actual people um we can I, we can hope for that right and um, then I think, you know, a virtual world can be a place that's independent of us enough that we can see it as a place to discover and explore and try to figure things out and create things and all of that, right? We don't really want to um, have nothing to do in the virtual world. I mean, that's kind of a problem in, in the anime Log Horizon that after they get there, it's sort of like, well, it's easy to live here there's nothing to do and boredom and lack of purpose just threatens their existence really until they figure out a way to have some challenge and and all of that kind of thing so i mean in some ways i think the question we're talking about now is just what's the meaning of life right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah what makes a life worth living and i don't have any easy answer to that question 
Uh, but it strikes me that we could grapple with it in a virtual context um, as we do like now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how do we make life meaningful in a pandemic? I mean, we're, we try to figure it out. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. That was an interesting exercise. Go ahead, Rachel. You were going to. Oh, I was just, you had mentioned that, that during his talk at the PCA, he went through all the different cases and, mm -hmm. and said, I'm guessing that it was something like, um, being in a virtual world seems bad in this case, but it's really this feature of that scenario. So could you take us through those? Because, of course, our listeners sure. didn't hear that. Yeah, I mean, and one one thing I did just kind of for fun is to look at some different anime which involve people being in a game world or another world in some way. And now some of these series are playing around with this idea now that there have been some big popular uh, series that do that and so just a facetious example there's one where the teenage protagonist finds himself in a virtual world but his mom goes with him and <laughs> you know that's not a great thing right from, uh, from his point of view we, we've got a teenage son and he would be damn lucky to to have you there right well, he go. would not feel damn lucky <laughs> but yeah <laughs> he, he would feel differently <laughs> and his mom's of course much more powerful than he is in this world you know so um she has oh, a yeah, great move, knocks everybody out. So um, and that's just a silly example. But um, I think, you know, what I did is sort of went through and talked about some of the epistemological factors um, that, you know, being in a virtual world where you're deceived and you don't mm. know you're in a virtual world. Right. That, that seems like a bad thing. Although, again, as we know, lots of discussion in classes about whether it is a bad thing and some people say, you know, if I'm if, if I'm happy, I don't care if I'm deceived. But, you know, I want to push the case for uh, the fact that we're deceived would make it a bad thing. So I'd like a virtual world where, that isn't, you know, deceiving me and also a virtual world that's not run by people who hate me or <laughs> machines who are <laughs> our enemies. Turning you into a battery, effectively, all of the matrix. That sounds like a bad thing, too. So there's sort of that. I, I mean, I don't think we want... The experience machine where uh, we sort of pre-program the rest of our life and then let it play out and take kind of a passive role, it seems like. I don't think that, you know, I want now what my 20 years ago self would have said I would want, probably. Um, mm -hmm. And so, you know, we don't really want that. We, we don't want to be alone in a virtual world. We talked about mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, we don't want a virtual world that's either really boring, like a kind of boring video game that you're doing all this tedious stuff, grinding away. You know, I wouldn't want a virtual world that was was like that. Would you want a virtual world that was like, you know, Animal Crossing? I mean, I, I, you <laughs> Funny know. you should mention that. I, I don't play a lot of video games, but I did start Animal Crossing at the start of the pandemic, and I now have... Nearly a hundred million bells, and you know. And <laughs> there you go. I, I own more sets of round glasses, like the one I wear in real life, than you can shake a stick at. Um, <laughs> I've got all, almost all the golden tools, and um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm. It's fifty-fifty. I could, I could maybe do that. I feel like I've moved in to, to Rachel's village on Animal Crossing already. Everybody's sure. friendly. Yeah. And I think the idea, you know, that one of one of you mentioned too, that you know, could we kind of split time between a virtual world and and the ordinary world right i mean so it's not that you have to make a once for all choice to 
leave all of this and go somewhere else. But, you know, maybe you'd spend quite a bit of time here and then part a bit of time in this virtual world. And that's kind of what we have now, really. I mean, mm-hmm. people spend their lives online that Mm-hmm. And then there's these real conversations about, you know, are you, is it a bad thing if people have a, a lot of their life spent online? There are people who are saying, go outside, you know, um, touch something, you know, real and get offline. And, and other people who want to kind of defend being online, you know, are friendships that you make online somehow lesser than friendships where you can kind of look each other physically face to face. Yeah. Uh, teaching, you know, when we teach on Zoom, is yeah. that, you know, and of course, Zoom is not great as a a virtual way of connecting to people. I mean, a Zoom classroom is not. If you imagined a, a virtual world classroom where we could all be kind of in in a room together and it would sort of mimic being in a room together normally, that would be mm-hmm. better than what we have on Zoom, certainly. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I guess Zoom is trying to put people in a kind of classroom background. I thought I saw that somewhere. They'd like distribute people's faces in seats or something like that. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe a bunch of black screens yeah. and that's seats. what I'm thinking. Yeah, they, you know, they'll be there with their names. I I don't know if yeah. your experience was like mine, but I you know I taught everything on Zoom this year, and I rarely saw anybody. Mm-hmm. I I had a you know don't you don't have to appear on screen if you don't want to because you're at home and your private space and almost mm-hmm. nobody did ever. It was yeah. me lecturing to names, um, basically. <clears throat> so some of the worries about, you know, virtual and digital relationships are because, yeah, our technology isn't yet where it is in the science fiction I'm looking at, right? We, we, we can't mm-hmm. sort of pull off a fully realized immersive virtual experience, really. And so when, when we can, I mean, then there'll be questions about what to think about that, I think. Yeah, yeah I, I like the model on um, Star Trek The Next Generation where the holodeck is yeah. this vacation. It, you're, you said something a moment ago that kind of reminded me of it, right? If, if you were just doing a little time there or some time there. Um, and I don't know that it'd be bad to spend half your life on the holodeck if what yeah. you're doing is just walking on the shores of the Mediterranean and sure. you know, visiting great people from history. Um, like that could sure. be a very meaningful existence, despite the fact that it's not, you know, real. Doing air quotes, but this is podcast, so no one will see it. Um, yeah, there's a good episode of Black Mirror um, where the there are people. I think they're in persistent vegetative states or something that are living their lives. You know, mm-hmm. falling in love with each other in a virtual space. Oh, the, is it San Jacinto? I think was the. Okay, good memory. Yeah, and it seemed like, I mean, it, uh, the virtual space was much better than what, you know, their, their actual physical I have, space. I have an excellent memory, and I can tell you the title of any episode of any show ever. Or um, <laughs> it just happened to be this weekend at the PCA, somebody was talking about that oh. episode. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, I, yeah. got, I got lucky. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Well, really fun, fun stuff. Um, I, I do a little work in the metaphysics of death, and um, when you were talking about, you know, when you get bored in there, I was thinking these these arguments like William's argument against immortality is eventually you get bored. Um, and even if you think that's true, I wonder if um, yeah, virtual reality doesn't give you a much more fighting chance of going longer or never timing out um, on that. 
So because the things that could hurt you in real life need not hurt you in a virtual space mm-hmm. since they're not real. Yeah. They're not the physical substances that they are. Yeah. You could jump into a volcano or whatever. Yeah, right. <laughs> Relive Joe versus the volcano over and over. Um, all right. Well, Randy, thanks so much for um, for talking to us. And it was yeah, great to see you at the PCA. Um, hoping we'll, we'll see you at future uh, PCAs, um, Seattle next yeah, year or San Antonio the, the year after. Um, but um, definitely hope our paths cross again. Me too. Thanks, and thanks for your podcast. It's a lot of fun. Oh, thank you. Take care. Okay, Rich, what are we liking this week? Well, we watched Nomadland, which was really, really good. Um, It's understandable that it did so well at the Academy Awards. Yeah, yeah, surprisingly good on account of how good it was, but not surprising given all the acclaim that it's... um, it's received. Um, does it make you want to get a big van and, and go out there, work the circuit? No, not when it's, <laughs> you know, 105 degrees or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> there's that. But, you know, part of the time they're freezing um, cold. Yeah. yeah, so we don't want to spoil it. But, um, you know, let's just be the nine millionth people and the nine million and one um, <laughs> to, to recommend Nomadland. Yeah. All right. Um, Bo Burnham's Inside. Genius. Is, is that the best comedy special ever? Uh, it's it's definitely the best one I've seen in a long time. He's, yeah, certainly in the conversation, right? Yeah, oh, sure. I mean, you know, he's he's very artistic and existential, and so that won't be some people's cup of tea, but it's certainly mine. Yeah, yeah. I'm raw, um, emotional, more emotional than you normally expect to get from Bo Burnham, right? Um, the, the younger version of him on the earlier... Specials was sort of glib, witty, hit you with something, you know, from left field, a la Monty Python. But um, this this was a I think a sort of really um, mature work, and it, and at least one of the songs um, goes really nicely with um, Gwendolyn's interview. <laughs> Gwendolyn's interview. <laughs> yeah, there's a great song called "White Woman's Instagram" or yeah. something like that. So yeah, yes. All right. Um, saw a couple of biopics. Um, one called Bessie, one called Billy. Um, yeah, we've been really enjoying um, jazz history. Yeah, you know, I think we mentioned on the podcast that we watched the Ken Burns documentary on jazz. Mm-hmm. Then subsequently, that thing about the Apollo on HBO yeah. and mm-hmm. a number of these things. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, both um, both good. I thought um, the the Bessie story was maybe a little more fictionalized. Um, Billy was was more. Yeah, documentary asking for that reason, mm-hmm. maybe a little, um, little more compelling. Yeah, Bessie was from a few years ago and was had Queen Latifah in it. Yeah, and then the Billy's. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah that wasn't meaning that to speak against it being. No, I just meant what I said. It's you know, it's fictionalized. Um, uh-huh. You know, a lot of liberties were taken. Yeah. In the in the story. Um, yeah, because Billy was a documentary. Billy was a documentary. Yeah. Um, but I recommend both of them, and, and you should watch them in that order. Bessie first, Billy second, just because Bessie um, comes before Billy hmm. in all of this. All right, um, Handmaid's Tale, um, wrapping up, we can maybe talk about that um, next week, um, since we'll um, have seen the, the final episode in, the, in season four before we um, um, record. Uh, Wrapped up Shit's Creek. That oh, was I love uh, that show. yeah, yeah. 
Um, started out great, ended up um, amazing. Like I, you know, for a couple seasons, I was just enjoying the heck out of it, and by the end, I felt really connected to it. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite comedies ever. Uh, we wrapped up *Mare of Easttown*. Uh, we praised that enough in, mm -hmm. in recent weeks, mm -hmm. um, and um, I was asked to um, watch *Letterkenny*. So we just started that. Um, we're only one episode in, so I, I, I don't want to form too much of a, a judgment, um, other than to say, episode one, a little underwhelming. Um, that mm. not not living up to the hype so far, but but I'll give it a few more. Mm. I've been told I have to go to at least episode five to to get a real sense of it. You know, that's the thing with pilots is, or you know, first episodes, they're they're trying things out. I it wasn't I wasn't loving it, but. You know, you always want to let the messiness of the pilot iron itself out, and yeah, yeah, give it, give it a, a fair chance. Okay, right, that's a wrap. Episode fifty-five is in the can, and we've got one episode left in season seven so we'll be back in a couple weeks with that um it's the final one from the pca but we just have one interview left so i think we'll have some um non-pca related content as a way of, of wrapping up the season we thank everybody for listening um if you're interested in supporting this podcast go to our webpage i think um click on the link that says donate and um sign up for patreon or if you're already signed up um, just click on it. Uh, I recommend just looking in your bank account um, and whatever's there. Um, I don't know. Donate half of it. <laughs> um, you'll, you'll get some more by the end of next month. Um, and it's a karma thing, right? Um, if, if you do a good deed and support our podcast, um, then somebody will support your podcast. Maybe. Karma doesn't really work. All right. Um, see you in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.